0: before we get started dead and married would like to thank those very close to our dead black hearts our patrons
1: thank you to William Rush Karima Rhodes my best friend and fellow Tom Atkins lover Gary Horton Carissa
0: Jonathan says thank you
1: Dr sexy himself Kent Morton oh yeah Kate lamp Travis's cowgirl Lala Thomas hey girl and last but certainly not least our friends over at the podmortem podcast you can also check out their very own show every Monday on all major platforms
0: And now, on with the show. Warning, the following show features spoilers and opinions performed either by professionals or under the supervision of professionals. Accordingly, Dead and Married and the producers must insist that no one attempt to recreate or reenact any opinion or fuckery performed on this show. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Dead and Married. I'm Travis. And I'm Ashley. And this week, we are talking about Hellraiser 2. Hellbound. You mean Hellbound. Hellbound. Hellraiser, Hellraiser 2. <laughs> 2. Why did they do it like that? I have no idea. At any rate, um, this movie was released in 1988. It's got an IMDb score of 6.4 out of 10, 41% on Metacritic and 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. How do you feel about that?
1: <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Like, for me, it doesn't replace the first part. In fact, I kind of see them as one long continuous story. I often watch the the two back-to-back is one long kind of, uh, I don't know, dark fairy tale type of situation. And I know that there's a lot of people that prefer part two to part one. I'm not in that camp, I guess, for the simple fact that I, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love how much things changed in the second one, but I liked the intimacy of the original more, I guess. Okay. Okay. The dark the dark love story aspect of it.
0: Right. Well, this one has a different flavor for yes. sure. Um, it was directed by Tony Randall. I don't remember who did the first one. Did Clive Parker do Barger? the Parker? <laughs> so that could explain a lot of the changes. Mm hmm. Um, although from what I understand, he was he was doing Nightbreed at the time this right. one was filming. Mm-hmm. So he's a, he executive produced on this one, but he kinda handed it over to Tony. Right. Uh, it was written by Peter Atkins, based on Clive Berker, Barker's Clive Barker. Mm-hmm. damn, I can't word today. Based on his story, so mm-hmm. um, and music was done by Christopher Young again. Woo-hoo. So you've got some old and some new. Yes, involved in this.
1: Many many members of the original crew came back and returned to make this film, and and it shows. I think that's why. A lot of that flavor does carry over, even even with the differences as as big as they are. I, I, it still feels like a Hellraiser film, unlike the ones that would come after.
0: Right, and two of the returning cast members that were most important, I think, Doug Bradley repli- reprised his role as Pinhead, and Ashley Lawrence uh, returned as Christy. Kirsty. Kirsty. Yeah, you you can't. I'm fucking, I'm fucking struggling today.
1: <laughs> Get it's, off that struggle bus. Come, it's come. it's real. Real. Struggle is real.
0: <laughs> um, Claire Higgins came back as Julia and... That's a... Well, no. I take no. that back. Simon Bamford uh-huh. came back as Butterball.
1: Nicholas and Vince. Nicholas
0: Vince was the chatterer again. Mm-hmm. Oliver Smith came back. Now, Oliver Smith wasn't actually seen in the first film, right? He was the skinned...
1: Skinless Frank. Frank. Yes.
0: So, <laughs> he was a skinless Frank. <laughs> find those in the deli section. <laughs> but we do get to see some new people. Uh, Kenneth Cranham plays Chenard. Dr. Chenard. Imogen Borman um, plays Tiffany. Mm-hmm. And Barbie Wilde replaced the female... Cinnabite mm-hmm. in this. Yes. But otherwise, pretty solid cast. So do you remember the first time you saw this? Yes. Uh, Tell me about it.
1: <laughs> I was in high school. I, it was pretty much, I think, um, right after I had rented the original. My parents were divorced at the time. Well, mom and stepfather. And I lived with him so I could finish up my senior year of high school. And, and uh, he drove a truck. So I was alone a lot in After school, I had a friend that worked at our local video store and I would go and just devour movies every day. And I had come across Hellraiser thinking I had never watched that before. It looked really fucking cool. I was kind of frightened of it at the same time because of the box art, you know, especially Hellraiser 2 in particular because it was just these two Cenobites staring you in the face. It would, would have been Pinhead and Deep Throat. And I was pretty much obsessed, so <laughs> I, pr- I pretty much had to seek out every Hellraiser that I could find after that. But I, I I guess I don't recall the very, very first time I watched it. I remember the first time I watched it with you, and that's when we had kind of just moved in together and, and stuff. We were newly into our relationship, and I remember showing you those two films, and you deeply regretting the choice that you had made in partners
0: yes yeah i had never seen this movie before and it was disturbing in some places Mm -hmm. um i don't the guy with the bugs the guy that sees bugs (laughs) browning yeah that one that was pretty rough that's rough to watch yeah that's a tough sequence I, re- so.
1: I remember you having some not-so-good feelings about it the first time. Yeah. I, I don't recall if you had turned away or anything like that. I just remember you being like, what the fuck?
0: Yeah, you made me worry about you a little bit. <laughs> what did I get myself into here?
1: Yeah, because, again, I, I remember being, like, so obsessed. And I, I remember one time in particular, I wanted a Hellraiser shirt really bad. And you were like, no, I don't want you having any of that stuff in our house or <laughs> Apartment, yeah. My, how you have turned your. Oh, I know.
0: <laughs> I know. You finally broke me.
1: <laughs> so I'm like looking at all of my Hellraiser merch here in in the studio. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's funny.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely taking a turn. So. I don't know. I guess I can attempt a synopsis before we talk about the story. So, this movie takes place immediately following the events of uh, the first one. Yeah. Uh, and so, Christy is in a mental institution. Kirsty? Kirsty. She's going to be Christy before this. No. Is, even you're going to call her that.
1: No, I'm, I'm not.
0: So, she's in a mental institution mm-hmm. or hospital. The Schnard Institute? Uh, yeah. And she's being held there. She's going to get treated by Dr. Schnard. He apparently is a big, he's been doing like he's crazy big. ass, like house on haunted hill experiments. I was going to say, uh,
1: he's a big Sunday. Uh, by a
0: on the yeah <laughs> on the i almost called them inmates on the patients there <laughs> And, uh, he is a big fan of the occult. Yes. I mean, at least they don't ever come out and say it, but I mean, when they investigate his office, like clearly he's, he's having some, some fan fiction or something. <laughs> he's, he's into it. And the box shows up again. Mm-hmm. The,
1: well, he's got like a few he, yeah, of he's them. he's got
0: like three or four of them. That's a whole different box of worms that we can get into later. But, uh, the Cenobites get summoned by a, uh, is she, is she autistic or just mute?
1: Uh, I think she's, uh. I don't know. She She's a savant, obviously. Right. But uh, she also seems like maybe she has PTSD or something.
0: Yeah, they never address whether or not she actually has a mental illness or if she just had maybe has been traumatized and just doesn't speak.
1: Well, I but think... But like every
0: child, when she finally decides to speak, she says a cuss word.
1: <laughs> I think he's kind of keeping her there against her will to yeah. keep her quiet because of some actions that we find out later on so yeah
0: but anyway um Cenobites get summoned and all hell breaks loose oh my gosh <laughs> see what I did there I yeah I do <laughs> so anyway speaking of the story how do you feel about it
1: um again I feel like was this film necessary no do I still enjoy it? Yes. Um. I don't know that it was really necessarily needed for Kirsty to feel like she needed to go find her father. I guess if if there had never been another film made after the original film, I think it would have been just fine. I guess. Um. Having said that, the the story's fine. Um. I don't know. It's hard to describe because the movie itself. I love the the film. It's gorgeous to look at. The score is incredible. For me, it was all about Pinhead. I mean, everything, I don't know. I I hate to say that nobody shows up for anybody but the Cenobites, but that's not being entirely fair because I so much enjoyed the story of what was going on between Julia and Frank in the original, I guess. I, I don't
0: know that it's entirely unfair to say that everybody shows up for Pinhead because the original plan in this was to, at least at the end, make Julia the new Queen of Hell. Right. But that did not go over well with fans. Right. Right. Um he's he Pinhead sells the tickets.
1: He 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 did um or does. But I don't know. I, as far as the Julia stuff, it's great. She to me she is the most badass in this film that she ever is. But I guess it's just Kirsty stuff. I just feel kind of eh. <laughs> you know, the whole thing with I need to find my dad. I just I don't know. It's just, it's okay. It's serviceable. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I like Kirsty. Um but having said that, she's not so much a final girl. At least she's, I don't know. I, I don't know that she was, She at least not in this one. Maybe in the first one, she's trying to do whatever it is she's trying to do in the first one. But...
1: See, I feel like it's the opposite. I don't in, feel like she's really a final girl in the first one. I feel like she is more so in this one, but it still doesn't feel like a standard final girl
0: No archetype. No, because she doesn't... I don't know. She at no point really does she have that I'm going to stand up and fight back sort of thing. I guess she does in the first one, but in this one it's all sort of. I guess it's situational, maybe.
1: I don't know. It's it's hard to describe. It's got a
0: different feel to it. Yeah. Than like Heather Langenkamp's character in Nightmare.
1: Right. Right. Um, right. Where
0: she's like, I'm fixing to whoop this guy's ass, and I you just don't forget that from Kirstie.
1: I don't, and and I'm not sure why that is. I don't know. Like I, she just is there. I guess. I don't know. I feel like a dick. I feel like a tick.
0: I think the difference, maybe, maybe I've got it nailed down in my brain here. <laughs> See what I did there? Is that, uh, you know, most final girls, they they have a plan and they're taking action, mm-hmm. right? They're moving forward towards something. They kind of, they're actively pursuing something. Not necessarily,
1: her, because in the the case of the ultimate of final girls, Lori Strode, she wasn't exactly the gal with a plan from the beginning either.
0: No, she wasn't. But Kirsty seems to really, she just is reacting to whatever's happening around her. Mm-hmm. Sort of. There doesn't seem to really be a plan. She's just kind of there and then rolling with whatever happens.
1: Right. Which I, I
0: guess it. it could be said that that's what Lori Strode did in the first Halloween.
1: Yeah. Well, that's why I was saying like, for me, Kirsty just kind of felt incidental in the original. Like, I, I was here for whatever was going on with Julia and Frank and the Cenobites you know I don't know I and that's nothing against Ashley Lawrence whatsoever she you know is icon status at this point in Hellraiser but I don't know like I said her part story-wise it just didn't do it for me necessarily I guess
0: maybe the problem is that for this film at least you could almost take her out of this film and it really wouldn't change a whole lot of it right she didn't play a big enough role in the I guess the main plot necessarily uh, that she would be absolutely necessary to its advancement because it seemed to be really centered around chenard mm-hmm. and julia
1: mm-hmm.
0: um she was just there to kind of provide some backstory to them which she should not have had in the first place
1: yeah yeah because
0: chenard was already kind of on the trail for this right so yeah <laughs>
1: there's there's we noticed it there's a lot of plot holes in this film oh
0: yes i made notes let me get my notes
1: <laughs> um there's things that Kirsty knows that she has no business knowing whatsoever because you're sitting there and you're like she didn't watch the film how does she know that this is how frank came back how does she know that this is how julia is supposed to come back like she has no way to know that any of this happened nobody told her nobody could have known besides frank and Julia themselves. And right. nobody, you know, twirled their mustache and told her what the evil plan was at any
0: point. Right. Yeah. So I think the first thing, I guess, for my part of story, I, I noticed a lot of story problems. Mm-hmm. And so the first one is when she gets into this institution, when she wakes up, they are saying that, yeah, the boyfriend, I guess, told a similar story, mm-hmm. but they let him go.
1: Yeah, I couldn't understand that. If he's telling the same story, why is he not there too?
0: If he's ranting and raving about demons and torture porn and whatever. <laughs> why isn't he in the cell next to her? Right. That did not make sense at all. How did she know that Julia came back through the mattress or that she can come back through the mattress mm-hmm. just like Frank? She doesn't know shit about Frank. Right. She knows he came back, but she doesn't know how, but she seems to know that Julia can somehow resurrected through this mattress. Mm -hmm. It didn't, it didn't matter. I I just.
1: Well, because she even says at one point, at one point telling the story that Frank came back, she's like, somehow, I don't know. He just came back. And it's like, well, if you know how Julia came back, it would stand to reason that you would also know how Frank came back. I I don't know. It it doesn't make any sense to me. Right.
0: And then in a cut scene or a a flashback to the first film, it shows a scene between Frank and Julia where he kills her and your, your favorite line, one of personal baby personal baby yeah but then it shows her laying on the bed with chains in her face Mm -hmm. holding the box right how did she get there she was already doing the purple people eater thing (laughs) like he had killed her how did she end up on the on the bed to open the box
1: i don't know i can't that doesn't
0: make any sense there's a scene where they're in Chenard's office or was it his house? I think it was his house.
1: It's his house.
0: And he's got like three other boxes under these little glass domes. How many fucking boxes are there?
1: Well, if you go to Bloodline uh, it is explained that Angelique had a
0: lot of boxes made. Yeah, well, who wants to go to Bloodline? Nobody wants to go there.
1: I like Bloodline, just close your mouth.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so again, the bug guy scene, that was just hard to watch. Mm -hmm. That was rough. Um, So when Julia does finally get resurrected and she skinless she's dripping how did she not bleed to death like it seems like she would have bled to god now you're just nitpicking she leaves bloody handprints but at one point there's a long shot of her standing looking in a mirror wearing a white suit which why would you give a bloody person a white suit that makes no sense at all but there's only blood on the carpet immediately where she's standing there's no footprints there
1: i think you're just nitpicking now you had some valid plot hole stuff but there's there's other stuff that i'm sure they just didn't think about
0: I don't doubt that. But one thing that they should have thought about, and I'm sure somebody thought about it, is that at some point he decided she needs a dress. But I'm going to wrap her up first. I'm going to put her in some nice ace bandage. And they called that movie The Step Mummy Returns. Oh my god. You know I was gonna do that. Uh, yeah, you know I, was. I did. I don't understand why that sick bastard got turned on by her. Like at that point, they're like making out, and he's grabbing on her skinless booty. Uh, once she,
1: yeah, I'm really the wrong person. Once she gets to her groove back, that. I'm gonna, you know,
0: <laughs> yeah, she's she's hot. Once she gets skin, but prior to that, <laughs> no, I don't think so.
1: Yeah, I I will say um, she had a major glow up between the two movies. Yeah, like what? that's that's not saying anything against Claire Higgins or or, or anything, but. She definitely looked a lot better in this second film than she did the first, with that weird hairstyle she had. So you
0: brought that up when we were the watching. very harsh it. makeup. And I agree with that. She doesn't look like a pissed off third grade teacher anymore. <laughs> Uh, actually, I think I may have had a teacher that wore her hair like that. <laughs> anyway, but no, I agree with you. She definitely, I don't know, it, I think it must be the hair. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. But in the first one, it's like, I don't see what, I mean, what's the big deal? What is, what movie is that? Does she have beer flavored nipples? <laughs> like, I didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't understand. And, and in the book, it talks about, you know, she's supposed to be the hottest thing anybody's ever seen. And then, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in this one, okay, okay. Um, further search of Shenard's house reveals that he has a picture of Pinhead's human form. Mm-hmm. Why would he have that? How would he even know who that was? How would he put those two together?
1: Extensive research. He scooby-dooed that shit. He, w-
0: he would have just flat disappeared in World War II. How would he? It doesn't make sense.
1: Uh, we can look up really old stuff and find pictures, old photos of people too that we yeah. would. Yeah. It, it, I'm sure it can be done.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Um, the silent girl, she got on my nerves a little bit. She was just a plot device. They needed someone late game to open the box. That was. That's the whole, her whole function mm-hmm. in this. She could Contributed nothing else. And they give her a backstory, sort of. They give her a f- flashback story, kind of. And I don't, I don't understand why they did that. And then at the same time, she opens the box and the, the Cenobites, the Cenobites from Sonic show up and, oh my God. and Pinhead says no, right? He says, it's not hands that call us, it's desire.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When did that matter in the first one? And what's worse is that they don't even go after Chouinard, who is the one who wanted it open. The desire was his. They go straight for Kurt.
1: I believe I explained all this to you off mic. Yes,
0: that they were still butthurt that she got away. Yes. I just don't I don't know. It didn't make sense for him to make that statement at all. At all.
1: So no one is ever allowed to change the story or lore ever. It has to be exactly the same every Listen, single time.
0: I'm not saying that you can't change it. I'm saying that if it's only the second movie in a series, you should probably try to have some kind of consistency.
1: Well, that's my point. It's only the it, second movie. If you
0: change it every time, then it's not lore. It's just individual films that are loosely connected by a title.
1: I disagree.
0: Okay. (laughs) You're allowed to disagree.
1: Are you done bitching now?
0: I... (laughs) Yeah, almost. I didn't oh my make God. one. Hang on. I made one observation while you were while you were watching it. Because we were watching it and it showed the front of the house, right? And uh-huh. one of Kirstie's hallucinations. You're like, hey, I know the address to that. And I was like, yeah, it's 55. Because it's all you see is 55. And you said, no, it's 55 Ludovico Street. And I'm like, fuck, I know that name. So I Googled it. Ludovico is the Ludovico treatment used in A Clockwork Orange. Yep. And it was a form of aversion therapy mm-hmm. in that film. And so you it was to teach Alex DeLarge to not be... Attracted to the uh, deviant shit that he was doing. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. So I wonder if they picked Ludovico on purpose. Like, because the people who were affected by this, Frank and Julia, and then later, Chenard, all into some pretty deviant shit.
1: I think you're reaching.
0: I don't think you're reaching far enough. No, you I. You need to get your T Rex arms. No. <laughs> And reach a little further.
1: I think it's it's a coincidence <laughs> or maybe the name Ludovico is more common in the UK where, you know, both films take place.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. I just thought it was interesting I mean, that they used I mean, how much
1: Longhorn that. shit do we have here in Texas?
0: Goddamn too much. Okay, then. I'm just, they could have picked <laughs> any other name, but they chose that one.
1: How many Travis Streets are there?
0: I don't know. A lot. There's one in the town we live in.
1: There's one here too.
0: That is the town we live in. There
1: was one in where we lived before.
0: <laughs> there was one we lived in before. Anyway, I, I think I'm done. Although they do incorporate one more thing, and this is not neither is your dick. You get two really awesome. Awesome. I'll see? Awesome. Awesome. See, see
1: so you, you, you're going to pick on me. I'm going to pick you right see back. See, you
0: got me all wound <laughs> up now. There's two pretty awesome Julia pimp slaps in this movie. Well two? one. One I was for gonna sure. say
1: there's only one. Yeah.
0: She straight knocks the shit out of Kirsty. Yeah. So, yeah. I didn't have I I didn't say Christy. Okay. Not so so
1: you just told the entire movie?
0: Well, I didn't. I mean you were talking about story and I was talking <laughs> no, about No, I story. didn't I didn't
1: talk about story.
0: Well, why didn't you talk about story? <laughs>
1: because you were like, I gotta go through all my notes. I gotta go through all my notes and I gotta bitch and make well, you make you feel bad about, about yourself. No talk, <laughs>
0: talk about your story then. <laughs>
1: Uh, why don't we start off with uh, the beginning of the film? Okay. Okay. So I thought that getting to get, even if it's not a lot, I thought it was really cool that we get to get so, like a sprinkle of Pinhead's backstory on this, just a little bit. Uh, from what I understand, they were supposed to go more in depth, and then either ran out of time or funds. I think it was a
0: budget problem. Yeah.
1: But I do like that, well, apart from previously on Hellraiser.
0: Last time on Dragon Ball.
1: Are you going to do that every time?
0: Every time. Every time. Every time.
1: Oh, my God. Anyway, apart from that scene where we kind of get, you know, some flashback stuff from the original, I love the open scene where we get to see Elliot Spencer, I I don't know, post-World War II, whatever this is supposed to be, um, opening the box and seeing how Pinhead was created. It's one of my favorite scenes in the franchise, And before everybody comes at me with the, are you okay? I have a coworker that asks me that all the time. Are you okay? Are you sad? Are you depressed or something? I just really fucking love that scene. Particularly, it goes into the pleasure and pain aspect of it. Because you hear Frank talk about that in the original, but you never actually see him enjoying it. Where, in contrast, in this one, as Pinhead is getting turned, it cuts to his mouth grinning for a couple of shots. And I just, I don't know why. I just thought that was really cool. Um, One of the things I enjoy about this film and subsequent films is just how fucking dark it is. And I, I love the idea of that actually being explored. That, yes, he's going through this an incredible amount of pain, but at the same time, he's enjoying it. You know, I don't, I don't know. It's fucked up, I guess. <laughs>
0: But <laughs> yeah, you do get you do get uh, some sort of toggling back and forth between Willem Dafoe and Willem friend in oh that God. sequence.
1: Anyway, um, I like I said, I enjoy the fucked up of movies. Like it, I feel like if they were all just the same. Mundane formula, there's really nothing special that it's trying to do to set itself apart from other horror films. You know how many slashers are out there that repeat the same formula over and over and over, and it gets boring and tedious after a while. So I think that's why a lot of us horror film lovers tend to graduate to more extreme fare because we want to be pushed to our limits a little bit more and get to see something that, I don't know, maybe it's the car crash effect or something. Thing, that we want to see something new we want to see something not I do have a line like like we've stated many times there are certain films that I refuse to watch but at the same time Hellraiser was that for me you know when you spend your life watching Freddy and Jason and Michael you know eventually you're like yeah 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 but this was the first time I remember watching a film and being completely surprised that I was getting to see something I hadn't seen before
0: well, I think I've said before, probably when we did Nightbreed and when we did the first film here, I'm not the biggest fan necessarily of Barker. I know that you, you like him a lot mm-hmm. and we haven't really done Cronenberg. Um, but honestly, I'm not the biggest fan of Cronenberg. Either. I don't necessarily have an issue with him. Um, his,
1: it, it, I think you're not a huge fan of body horror. Maybe yeah, It
0: could be. Maybe that's it. However, uh, one thing I appreciate about both of those, those guys is that neither of them have made a Halloween movie. They both did films in the eighties and neither one of them made Halloween. <laughs> And that's <laughs> they nothing, that's both nothing have, against Halloween. Yeah. They did their own thing.
1: Yes, that's what I was going to say. They and, both have their own unique visions. Yeah.
0: And so for any filmmaker in the 80s to make a horror film that's not just <sighs> Halloween with a different mask, mm-hmm. I appreciate that.
1: Yeah. The, they're. I mean, Aiden, I can quote Aiden as saying, that is one fucked up gay little man. <laughs> because... <laughs> Uh I, this is often a question that I ask you or Aiden from time to time. Like, how is this your brain? Like, why did this come from your brain? And that's a thing about uh Cronenberg and Barker and Lynch is that you get the darkest in the darkest depths of their heads and you're just like oh my god and I think therefore we can still tell original stories somebody's just got to be willing to take that risk and I believe that those are filmmakers that love to take risks and do something different I mean yes we went and saw oh fuck what was that movie we went and saw Uh, Cronenberg yes but what that's it called Crimes of Crimes of the Future that's cr- it yeah now, we did leave that movie feeling a little underwhelmed, but had you seen anything like it before? No. As far as plot, visuals, no, we still hadn't. So I still have to get a, give it credit for that. Right. Is that there are still film, filmmakers out there with original ideas.
0: Yeah. And I think that's probably the reason I like Lynch too. It's probably the reason you like Lynch. Yes. Is, yeah, it's not necessarily he's my favorite. No, no, he's one of your favorites. Um, and honestly, some of the stuff that he makes can be really hard to follow, but you're not going to go out and watch a film of his and say, oh yeah, that reminds me of this. Mm -hmm. You watch other films and you go, yeah, they're trying to rip off Lynch. Right. So anytime somebody steps outside the box, it may not it may be outside my comfort zone and it may be sort of outside uh the realm of something that I would enjoy. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate it when somebody makes the attempt. Yes. Because so, yeah. it is, there's a lot of the same shit, same shit. In the 80s, everything was Halloween. Mm-hmm. Everything was Friday the 13th. In the 90s, everything was Scream. Right. Um, in the 2000s, everything was garbage. And it's just been in the last I was
1: going to th- say everything was Saw.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, pretty much. Uh, well or hostile mm-hmm. but it you know in the last few years we're seeing a little bit more of that and filmmakers coming up doing trying to do something a little different yes yeah, um, yeah. It, it's sort of that new crop of horror directors mm-hmm. um, and I think they're doing a good job But
1: yeah because again we're we're going back to and something that I think Barker did here before really anybody else is that we're having a lot of filmmakers here explore the human condition you know you think about films like Hereditary or Midsommar where that's what they're doing exploring the human psyche and that was something that Barker was doing or Cronenberg was doing way before anybody else was
0: yeah you know I think the only reason that works is because the human experience is different for everyone yes so you really can tell a different and more or less original story every time
1: right but it's
0: got to be about a person
1: yeah And so even Tony Randall, who directed this film, was quoted as saying he was very depressed when he directed this film. And it shows. This one, even though the subject matter is still the same, this one feels darker in a way. I mean, even if you're just looking at Hell's landscape, it just feels darker as a whole. You know, there's a lot of scenes, I mean, a lot of what takes uh, takes place in Hellraiser is right there in broad daylight, you know, in front of God and everybody. Um, it's It was one of the few movies out there that does take place during the day a lot. You know, you're getting to see every square inch of Frank's body. It's not hidden in the shadows for, you know... 80% of the film, you're you're getting to really be confronted with this monster. And this was no different. This felt like you were really... It was really being shoved in your face of what a personal hell looks like, you know? And I appreciate that later on in a film like Inferno, that was explored even more. You know, I just... I I like that aspect of it, I guess. Um, To me, this could almost be a fantasy film more than a horror film. Yes, there are horrible, horrific things that that take place in this film. But when you think of hell and Leviathan and just giant Escher painting that is hell, it does seem more fantastical, I guess, to me.
0: Yeah, it's almost a... Almost like a C.S. Lewis sort of thing, you know, line which they go through, they that the kids they go through the wardrobe right into the into Narnia. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same thing here, different portal, but they travel through some media um, into a completely different right state, completely different realm. Yeah. So yeah, I can see the the fantasy aspect of it.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't know. I think so.
0: It's still horror.
1: It, it is. It is. But I like that there's that fantasy element to it, where you're getting to. I mean, because you've only heard about hell. You've only heard about the Cenobites really, this was the first opportunity we got to expand upon that mythos and really put some context to everything that Frank was talking about. And I really enjoy that yeah. part of
0: it. I mean, they didn't really do that much with it in the first film.
1: No, they really didn't. Like I you mean, said, even, he just...
0: Even when they talked about it, it was pretty vague. Yes. So, you really get some expanded uh, world building I yeah. guess, mm-hmm. in this.
1: Yeah. I, I enjoy that a lot. Now, I, I've gone on record on the show before and said, I wish they would do something like the Scarlet Gospel where you get to expand that even more and you get to see the hierarchy of these demons, the the caste system, um, the royalty I mean down to the subhuman type Cenobites that are nothing more than bottom feeders I would love to see that more explored I wish somebody had the money and the interest so that we could build even more upon what this film does so well.
0: Yeah, I think there's there's a lot there. Uh, I would I wouldn't want to be the one that had the right script for that, though, or screenplay, Mm -hmm. because that'd be rough. And I wouldn't want to be the person responsible for the special effects. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Because having read the Scarlet Gospels, damn, they would have their work cut out. for.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure.
0: That would be that would be tough. But it would be interesting. I mean, that would be like the most fucked up Lord of the Rings you could imagine. Yeah. (laughs) Almost. Uh, It would be, yeah, that could be rough. Yeah. That'd be rough. I mean, you're not going to get an R rating out of that. That, That, That's that's, going to be an X. It would be, it would be a a, solid X. Yeah. Or not rated (laughs) at all. We're going straight to video, but.
1: So um, moving on, why don't we talk about the characters a little bit? Like you were saying, we get some, we get some new additions to this movie. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't I want to say they expanded because they're pretty short-lived. Um Kirsty is Kirsty, Julia is Julia. Although she's she's more powerful yes. in this one from a personality standpoint. I mean, obviously she is physically because uh she died and came back and now she's a zombie or whatever they are when they come back. Demon? Um but she's she's more personality-wise, character-wise, I think she's a, she's a much more powerful person. Yes.
1: Yeah, uh, she's she's, seen, she's not taking shit off anybody in this film.
0: In the first one she was assertive to a point, but still seemed almost timid. Maybe just when she was confronted with Frank, Mm -hmm. right? Like, she could be assertive with Larry. Right. But, I don't know, it was almost a mixture of fear and admiration for Frank, Mm -hmm. nearly. Uh, And you don't get any of that here. No. She's just a bad bitch in this one. Yeah. And she's going to take what she wants. But, and so that that was kind of an interesting shift for her. It worked better. That personality on her worked better for me in this film than her whatever it was in the first one that she was doing i don't
1: know oh, it's, it's hard to i don't know because there i have so much love for the character of julia in the original um i don't know i have this image of her seared into my brain of after having killed the first guy looking at herself in the mirror like oh my god what have i done yeah. and yet at the same time being exhilarated by it at right. the same time so but yeah. I do, I do enjoy watching her smack Kirsty down and ripping out Frank's heart too.
0: She really brings the queen bitch energy. In
1: she one. really does. And, and if it was, was
0: kind of good to watch.
1: Yeah, if they had gone on with the original plan of making her the queen of hell, it would have been absolutely earned as far See, as I'm concerned.
0: And I would have watched that. <laughs> but unfortunately, you would not have gotten that. If they had continued with that, it would have been with a different actress because she, this was the last one she did because she went to pursue her stage career. Right. Mm-hmm. Which explains why she was such a good actress, because right. apparently stage makes you good. Actually, I think Doug Bradley said that. No, he did not. Somebody said that. Yes, that stage makes you good. Mm-hmm. So, um what other characters did we have? We had the the, the assistant doctor,
1: uh, Kyle, Kyle mccray Kyle? Yeah, he's supposed to be. Yeah, I I remember thinking, what's he supposed to be? I was Is thinking, he what the
0: fuck, Kyle? <laughs>
1: Stuff the fuck up got. Um, no, like I'd had this thought of is he like a nurse? Is he like a, a physician's assistant? Like what the hell is this guy supposed to be? And he does eventually say he's a doctor. I'm like, oh, okay. I guess so. <laughs> he doesn't really scream doctor to me, he screams intern. Yeah, I guess.
0: Intern is what I was thinking. He didn't I don't know. I don't know what his purpose in this film was. Yeah. It was almost like him and Chouinard had sort of a good cop, bad cop thing going on, Um, but... He didn't contribute much. He really, at all.
1: he really didn't. And they, I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird. They seem like they're going to set up some kind of relationship between he and Kirsty. You know, he, he kind of alludes to the fact that he's doing this for her at one point. You know, he, he strokes her chin or whatever. Like, bitch, you just met this
0: woman. <laughs> In the very beginning, when him and Shenard are talking about it, though, it almost seems like he disagrees with Chenard's methods, and he really thinks that she's just traumatized and she needs to process whereas chenard's like you know just cut their brains open that's the answer (laughs) Um, and then almost immediately he's like a horny teenage boy yeah and i don't
1: well no not necessarily i think he just wants to be the white knight and and do right by her but he's just so way out of his depth on this it just
0: it happened really fast and he didn't last very long
1: no he was he was at the wrong place at the wrong time pretty much and he doesn't serve as much except to be one of Julia's human juice boxes. Yeah. So. <laughs>
0: yeah, she just crushed his ass like an empty Capri Sun, too. Yeah. Um, Who else we got? We've got uh, Tiffany. Yeah. Tiffany is the, the mute girl.
1: Yeah, and I think you already touched on her.
0: Yeah, she's just there to solve a puzzle.
1: Yeah, and, and so that basically leaves our big, big addition, which is Shenard. And I dig Chouinard way more as a Cenobite than I do as an evil doctor. I guess because to be honest he really doesn't do just a whole lot either besides stand and listen to Kirsty pensively or stand and listen to <laughs> other people pensively watch stuff pensively like
0: (laughs) well you get so in the beginning he gives that monologue right (coughs) while him and Kyle are walking from surgery well first he's giving a monologue while he's carving someone's brain up Mm -hmm. Uh, we have to see with this weird ass looking drill thing yeah which is later the same shape of penis implement that's used on him (laughs) basically um, to turn him into a remote controlled Timmy Uh but it's just I don't know you get those monologues at the beginning and then yeah it's just him watch from the sidelines sort of reacting to whatever's going on yes or him horn dogging after julia yeah and that's it until he his transformation takes place so
1: right i didn't get a lot from him yeah that uh, i think that's what i was gonna say too is that he he really isn't there to do much except to get julia from point a to point b he He's, he's her means to an end
0: he's just ubering her around
1: yeah um, but I guess if you really, really think about it, he is, I don't know, like, it's like Julia's is a car salesman and she's trying to earn her commission for Cenobite bucks or something. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but it's almost like she is recruiting him, sort of. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to explain that, that Somehow, she knew he existed and knew that he would be good for help or whatever. She said, Leviathan wanted souls, I brought you. I'm like, how did she know about him? You know, is this like a God scenario where they can see
0: all and everything? Yeah, I don't know. But if, if she's bringing souls in exchange for something else, then it's almost like, is it some kind of weird pyramid scheme? or something like is she getting her racetrack rewards but hey
1: i already made the joke i made the joke first don't take my joke i'm not taking your
0: joke (laughs) But no, I get it. It's kind of it's kinda of strange the way they approach that. Or is she earning her way out of hell by doing that? I don't think so. But it seems like she kinda of likes it there. Oh yeah. Yeah. So she, maybe she's working for a promotion.
1: I have no idea. If she was, you know, she is talking about Leviathan now that she worships him. So, you know, this is my God. And it seems like she's in it full, like all the way. Yeah. Like she she's absolutely committed to this being this other being now. And it really, sorry, it really suits her. I, I was happy with what where her character went. She did it well. Yeah. Uh,
0: the actress, she, she pulled it off. She sold it.
1: Yeah. But yeah, Shannard just seems like he's a means to an end. Right. Now, as a Cenobite, I, I'm sorry. I like the look of him. I think he's he's... <sighs> I don't know how to describe his look. He doesn't have anything that really stands out the way the other Cenobites do, except for his tentacle fingers and head. I don't even know if you'd call that a tentacle. It, it's, it was made to resemble a diseased penis.
0: Oh, the one that they muppet him around with? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what that was about. His, his Cenobite situation is odd to me because he doesn't look like any of the rest of them, but somehow in my brain, he's less distinctive than any of the rest of them. Mm-hmm. It's like I've assigned an identity to all the other ones, even well, and I guess they do have names. I just don't know what they are, but to me, they all seem singular. They're all individuals, right? they all right. have sort of a personality, even though there's nothing ever where they express any sort of personality or whatever.
1: They have a look that, that differentiates them from the yeah, other.
0: And he's just a fucking back dancer (laughs) you know what I mean like he's not he just doesn't I don't know it just didn't do it
1: yeah that I guess that's my thing is he's just kind of blue with these you know I was laughing because the scene where he's getting transformed, they bring that like razor wire thing over his face. And I was like, someone get the cheese slice up. Yeah. (laughs) Because that's what it looks like. Which reminds me at the beginning uh, in um, uh, Pinhead's transformation scene, Aiden was in the living room long enough with us. And when it comes time to them slicing his head with the scalpel, I don't know why. I guess he was busy looking at his phone and not paying attention to the film. And he said something about it being a tiny pizza slicer <laughs> to do his, to, to make the grid pattern on his head. He was like, you know, and they get the tiny pizza slicers out. Yeah. I just died. <laughs> and that made me think of this, this vine where the guy uh slicing up a pizza and, and it, like i don't know how many pieces he end up with 32 48 and the guy's like that's enough slices and so now every time uh finhead's getting transformed i'm gonna forever think that's too many slices but- <laughs> i
0: don't know how he looked at that and got pizza cutter from it
1: i have no idea i'm like dude that's a fucking scalpel it's just a s-
0: scalpel on the end of a dick <laughs> i don't
1: i don't
0: <laughs> i don't understand
1: <laughs> yeah
0: how his brain works <laughs>
1: so um let's see what, what what we got after characters
0: oh let's see um well there's bug guy there's a lot you've got a lot of patience there that No, I, I said
1: after characters like well, oh I, was... well, I thought
0: you were talking I thought we we're still talking about story characters no 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 um so after that it's really the acting mm-hmm. I mean we didn't really we talked about the characters we didn't talk about the acting so Doug Bradley is pinhead he always brings it we've already you know we've, we've both kind of been rubbing one out over Julia so she does a great job I don't know I I, everybody gave me what I expected, mm-hmm. I think.
1: I've never really thought that uh, Ashley Lawrence was always a terrific actress. I've, I've always felt like some of her line deliveries have been a bit wooden or off in places. Um,
0: I didn't say that she was good. I said that she got, I got what I expected. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, Tiffany doesn't really do much. Um, something about British actors, though... Can you tell a bad actor from a good one? Because I feel like as long as you have the accent, it automatically makes you sound more... Something than American actors having it,
0: having a, an accent that is foreign to an American automatically makes you better.
1: Yeah, I don't know why. It did, did just that sounding so. I don't know proper. No, nah, ma- it
0: wouldn't. It doesn't even matter to me if it's. It doesn't necessarily have to be British. Um, Australians they're better actors than we are because they have accents that are not <laughs> the same as mine. Um, Jack Jacksepticeye, little Irish dude. He's probably a fantastic actor because he's got a badass accent. <laughs> I just don't. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. I understand what you're saying, though.
1: Yeah. There's I, something about it. They just, I, I don't know. It's something that makes it, them seem more intelligent, more worldly, something. But but yeah, so I don't know if I would ever notice a bad actor in UK. Any of our UK listeners, please let me know if, if you've seen bad acting and what that looks like. And
0: do they feel like American actors are better because we don't sound like them? I really like, does doubt it work, that. Does it work both ways? <laughs> I doubt that. Probably not, because um, they gave us some person whose name I can't remember. The guy who played Dracula. Gary Oldman? Yes. And we really haven't given anything back that would match that, so <laughs> we lost.
1: We have American actors that are fantastic. No,
0: we have Tom Cruise. No, um, we have Christian Bale. This is true. Okay. <laughs> we do have Christian Bale, but he's a little crazy. Um,
1: but then Christian Bale is Welsh, so, so that not American. doesn't
0: count. <laughs> Good job! damn you just sabotaged i almost had one
1: i almost had nicholas
0: cage (laughs) (laughs) we gave the world nicholas cage
1: oh my god (laughs) i guess i guess people out there would say uh, leo or brad pitt
0: yeah okay you got me on brad pitt the other one mm.
1: matt damon i guess people would say those are our Matt damon hasn't done a fucking
0: movie in 20 years not yet.
1: It's, he has.
0: last good one he did was Goodwill Hunting. But anyway, it's been a minute.
1: No, it really has. not You watched the movie with him in space, like, here recently. Remember? Yeah. He's, like, on Mars or some shit. That was a recent movie. That's an movie. older movie. No, it's really not. It's I'm going to
0: have to look at that. <laughs> I'm going to have to look at it. I don't know if I believe you.
1: Well, it's, it's true. Trust me. Rate. I watch more movies than you.
0: <laughs> at any rate. So true to your point is that, uh, so like Frank, the guy that plays Frank... I couldn't have help but notice that he had a nationality change between the first film and this film. Okay. Because he was slightly British in the first one. In this one, they I guess they didn't dub him. Didn't you say they dubbed him in the first one? Yes. And so in this one, he's just sort of a vanilla American. And he I was, was like,
1: American in the other one too. I don't too.
0: he sounded different. So I'm like, who's this fucking guy? It's the same guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it no, it's it's guy.
1: Sean Chapman in both films. Yeah. But but yes, he was dubbed over with they didn't want to use he was like, I can do an American accent. And they were like, yeah, but um, they've done the same thing to Doug Bradley. They did that to him in Nightbreed where they gave him a German accent and – I don't know why they had such a problem why with the these actors' you, voices. Why would you
0: dub Doug Bradley?
1: I, we, we've we had plenty of British That's actors. It's like saying, hey,
0: we've got Angus Scrimp, but we're going to dub him. Yeah. The fuck you say?
1: Yeah. We've had plenty of British actors out there that have done amazing American accents. I mean, would you have ever believed Andrew Lincoln was not from Georgia?
0: I didn't know he wasn't from Georgia. <laughs>
1: exactly. Exactly. Did you think them, I mean, did for a second, did you think that maybe the actors in... And the Boondock Saints weren't really Irish. Fuck no. Yes. I know. No, I'm saying I could tell that they're not.
0: Really? Yes, I okay, can well, tell I'm that terrible they're. At this game. I can I tell thought that, they were both Irish.
1: No, I can tell that they're putting on an Irish accent. But for some reason, with British actors, I can't always tell that they're not American.
0: Oh yeah, they're definitely better at it than we are.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, I remember when I found out that Daryl Dixon wasn't really Irish, and I was so sad. <laughs>
1: He's from, like, Florida, honey. I
0: know. I didn't know that at the time, though. And whoever the other McManus brother is.
1: <laughs> Sean Patrick Flannery. Yeah,
0: that guy. Um, yeah, I thought, he, it's because of his last name. His oh last name God. is Flannery. It's like, yeah, he oh, must be. He
1: must be Irish. He
0: must really be Irish.
1: <laughs> Which Fast he very him. well, well may be, but it's not but his native. But he doesn't native... really
0: have that accent. No. I feel like we've talked about this for a really long we time. We really
1: now. have. <laughs> Because we were talking about the characters, right? <laughs> no, the acting—the acting was was fine. Yeah. Um, I said uh, Claire Higgins and Doug Bradley; they they just bring a sense of class to it. I really feel like they act circles around most everybody else in the cast.
0: Really thought you were going to say gravitas.
1: Yes, that is a thing that they both have. I'm sorry, but what other words can you think of?
0: I don't think of words.
1: <laughs> okay, I can, then. I
0: can barely use the ones <laughs> okay, I know. Okay, then. <laughs> no. I, anyway, like I said, I think everybody delivered what I expected them to. You expect Doug Bradley to be good, and he is. You expect Claire Higgins to be good, and she is. You know, I set the bar pretty low everywhere else, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's fine. <laughs> um, special effects. I I think all the, the the body horror stuff that's always good. Mm-hmm. As say, it's not always good. Every Hellraiser movie, it was good in the first one. It was good in this one. The visual effects. I feel like when they do the funhouse scene, there's like a long shot where it shows her running down between the like the carnival tents or whatever. Mm-hmm. That is clearly a visual effect, or it's not CG because I don't think there even was CG in '88. But yeah, you could, it's a little, it's a little yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some claymation in there, but claymation doesn't bother me because I really liked the first Clash of the Titans. You
1: mean stop motion? Yeah, what'd I say? You said claymation. That's the same shit. <laughs> anyway. Anyway.
0: Look, this. I mean, technically, claymation is stop motion. So, but yeah, the original Clash of the Titans from like the '60s or whatever, the whole thing was stop motion. Mm-hmm. I liked that movie. Mm-hmm. So,
1: well, I've already said on many occasions that I'm a huge fan of stop motion. I think that there, there's a charm to it that you don't find in film anymore. Um, I think what people were able to do with stop motion at that time, and it still be practical, is amazing. Yeah. You know, because they didn't have all the resources that we have now. And as a result, I think shit look, almost looks faker now than it did then.
0: Yeah. You know? It's almost too polished. Yes. Um, As far as that goes, there's one, and, and we watched a video and they were like, hey, they're running on a matte painting. Mm-hmm. That was a badass matte painting. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. It yeah. looks
0: like an Escher painting when they're actually in hell. And I thought, that's pretty, like, I, I can hang that on the wall. That's yeah, pretty no cool Yeah, no kidding. Looking.
1: Especially if it had Leviathan right every, there on top.
0: Every, there, for a while, that Escher... Shit, you know, they'd have prints on posters or whatever, and mm-hmm. people put them up. It was a good painting, so I don't have a bitch about that. The only thing that bugged me just a little bit is that the hard stuff, right, like bloody body parts and people coming out of mattresses and all that other shit, they did a great job on, right? The stuff you'd expect to be really hard, but the easy stuff, like set decoration, they struggled with.
1: <laughs> Are you gonna die? Because there's a
0: couple of points. <laughs> <laughs> or someone brushes up against the wall and you can see the fabric wrinkle. And I don't necessarily expect you to build stone. You can stone. see
1: the wall rattle yeah, you a don't,
0: little bit. I don't really need them to go build stone catacombs for them to <laughs> run through, but at least stick the fabric down that you're using to cover it with a little bit better so that it doesn't like bunch up when Kirsty leans against the wall.
1: See, I didn't, it didn't look like it bunched up to me. It looked like it rattled when she leaned against no, like it. No, like, you can
0: see it flex. Like so there was, was cardboard. I don't know if it was fabric or wallpaper or whatever, but there's several scenes where like they brush up against something, and you can see it wrinkle up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, you guys did so good on all the really hard shit, and at the rest of it, you were just like, fuck it. <laughs>
1: We've got $5 left. How do we make this
0: work? (laughs) Go to Home Depot, buy some duct tape.
1: See, it's like you can go through it and yes, you can see stuff like that. And then I can go, yes, this, these tentacle fingers are stop motion or whatever. Um, And I can be fine with that. The only one that I found was a little janky is at the end of the movie where the pillar of souls rises up through the mattress. You can tell very clearly that it's a composite shot. I can forgive it, but I'm at the same time I'm kind of going uh, a little bit.
0: <laughs> it wasn't great, and Pinhead in that was not Doug Bradley.
1: Right, right.
0: That was was the effects guy. Yes, that was his face. Yeah, we didn't talk about the effects guy. Okay, like, we didn't even name him
1: because we haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> well,
0: that's what we're talking about right now. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah so keeping that in mind, I will name them now. Uh, there was John Cormican, and he played. He did something else. You just told me.
1: You're talking about on the Pillar of Souls. Yeah. He was the skinless Julia and the Vagrant at the okay. end. What is your okay. pleasure, sir?
0: Yeah, yeah. And then uh Jeffrey Portis mm-hmm. was uh the face of Pinhead, yeah. I think. So I think those are two ones. That whole crew did a great job. Um, it was a pretty pretty large special effects and uh makeup effects team. Yeah. And I feel like they did a great job. Like I said, it's just I don't know. It's it's just one of those things.
1: I think I if I'm being really, really honest, I think I prefer the word. in the original film as far as special effects go. um, Not counting the engineer because we all know the story behind that. But um, I don't know. Something about... I felt like Frank's skinless look was more visceral in that. And... I'd be remiss to not bring up his rebirth scene. That, to me, still stands as some of the best special effects work I've ever seen in a film in my life. Um, and I just felt like that was missing a little bit in this one, even though it's gorier. Even though there's more special effects stuff done, I still feel like that original film did more, I guess.
0: Yeah, I got the feeling in the first film, and, and I didn't do any research on it, but you get the feeling looking at uh, Skinless Frank, that his, he doesn't, for one, he does not move around as much, which leads me to believe that his skin suit or whatever, uh, is, is probably composed of more individual pieces, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it was a lot darker, right? You didn't see him like in a spotlight, but in this film, Julia's skinless form is actually very... you did see him
1: in the daylight. That's what I was talking about earlier. Well, I
0: know you were, it just, it seems her, she's crawling across the floor, chasing the bug guy around, mm-hmm. uh, they're playing nightcrawlers and. <laughs> <laughs> And it's, it's in a well-lit room. And it is very clearly just like a wetsuit smeared in Vaseline. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the difference. Her, you can tell it's just a latex bodysuit or something.
1: No. It just It
0: doesn't look as good. It, it looks fine. It's too smooth. Whereas I felt like... I don't agree. Frank's was better.
1: I do think that Frank's is better, but you can still see all the individual muscle and bone on Julia. It still looks fantastic. I'm not saying
0: that it's bad. I'm just saying that Frank's was
1: better. I just was talking in terms of how we get to see the evolution of Frank, whereas Julia, we just completely bypass that in this second film. And I love Frank's stuff soaking through his clothes and the way he just oozes and drips throughout the film. Like, that gradual evolution of his look throughout I was something that I really enjoyed. Whereas Julia's, you know, unfortunately, like I said, we bypass all of that. Yeah,
0: hers is very rapid because she's, what, bloody? They, he bring chenard takes her to his house, wraps her up, feeds her a couple of people, and then next time well, she shows probably up.
1: probably feeds her like a couple of dozen. Well, I but. know, but. <laughs> I mean...
0: You really don't see her a lot. And then when she pops back in, she's her.
1: But I get Very it. I, if we go through that again, we're basically just telling the same story again. It's it's more like, let's get to the point, what comes after this. So I, I get it. You know, we get to see what happens when the person actually gets enough bodies to feed on. So that is cool. And I do like the part where she is killing Kyle. And you see that she's got a little bit of her back missing still. And it shows that as she is bleeding him dry or you know, sucking his life force out, that her back is healing up. I do enjoy that part of yeah, it. That was she really just, cool. She
0: was getting a little head.
1: <laughs> he had to make that joke.
0: She shoves her hands in the back of their head every time. I know. So, of course, I'm going to say she's getting a little head every time. Because
1: <laughs> he said it like five times watching the movie. I
0: said it every time she did it.
1: <laughs> I was like, I heard you first time, honey. I'm still not laughing. Every time.
0: <laughs> But I feel like that kind of covers the special effects part. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Never's nothing really disappointing. I just, the wallpaper fabric thing, I just thought it was kind of funny.
1: I will say if you are able to watch Leviathan, the story of Hellraiser and Hellbound Hellraiser 2, absolutely watch it because they do go into more depth. As far as the special effects go and how they created every single thing, the decision-making process behind the looks, um, even down to, there's one thing that we can mention and that is that the look of the chatterer completely changed between the two movies. So probably anybody who is a fan of Hellraiser knows this story already, but Nicholas Vince, who portrayed the chatterer, was having a hard time with his mask because he could couldn't see. He couldn't really talk. He couldn't hear, and so he requested that they make the Chatterer able to see. And unfortunately, there was a scene that was lifted from the final draft that shows the process of him getting eyes necessarily. But Travis and I noticed this time that it wasn't just eyes he got. He also had ears because his ears were kind of fleshed over also. So it's almost like they took a first layer of skin off his face and that's what's underneath maybe yeah but to me he kind of looks almost canine a little bit which I guess makes sense because Chatterer is often referred to as the pet of the Cenobites so I guess that makes sense I just in terms of the look itself I'm not a fan I prefer the original look of the Chatterer yeah it's he, way more terrifying
0: yeah I the second look wasn't bad it's just a little off-putting when you're watching the film when all of a sudden he changes right what the fuck happened
1: yeah because for the first half of the movie anytime they show him he still looks the way he did in the first film right and then all of a sudden in the next scene he's completely different right so yeah
0: not bad i think they were both good they just shouldn't have changed it in the middle of the film
1: right yeah if you if you were going to change the look start it from the beginning because like like you said they um they recast um Grace Kirby with Barbie Wilde for deep throat and their looks are completely different but not so different that it's jarring because they didn't change it right in the middle she was that way from the beginning so there are things that are missing like the little hair that's sprouted up for the top of her
0: head is gone um see I felt like a totally bald look was better
1: yeah uh, I don't mind I don't. I don't mind
0: the new look. Well, but in the in the other one, she was the only Cenobite to have any kind of body hair.
1: Right, right.
0: And so it was kind of weird for her to have that little wispy hair on top when all the rest of them were completely bald. So
1: so that's my thing too is is while I don't have a problem with Barbie Wilde's deep throat, I think she's great. I still find Grace Kirby's to be the creepier of the two mm. in the original. Something, her eyes look much more dead. Um, whereas the this Deep Throat, I feel like she's a little bit more feminine looking. You can tell that she's a fe- fe- feminine centibite. Whereas I don't feel like you really did in the original film. So I don't know. I don't
0: know. Well, in the, in the book, they're supposed to be sexless. Right. So, yeah. So yeah, the first one probably fit that description a little bit better.
1: I think so. But unfortunately, uh, Grace Kirby... Was terrified of seeing herself. She did not enjoy that process. And so she did not sign on to do the second part. So. And also, not a uh, Barbie Wilde, not an American actress or a British actress. She was a Canadian actress. Okay. So. All
0: right. So. I know one of your favorite things about these. Films. There's two two things for you that make a Hellraiser movie. Okay. The first one is Doug Bradley. Yes. Second one is Christopher Young.
1: Yes, absolutely, hundred percent. So
0: tell me about the music.
1: <laughs> this I don't buy scores to albums very often, but I do own parts one and two. They're on my phone. Um, these have got to be. It, it even though it's a horror film. To me, this is some of the most beautiful orchestral work I've ever heard. It's, you get, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it in the original film, but seems like part two took that original score and turned it up to 11. Like
0: That's what I was going to say.
1: It's way more in-your-face, bombastic, just, I don't know, it has a certain gravitas Oh, yeah. To
0: it. <laughs> no, I get that. And I can imagine, like, when they were probably listening to it the first time around, and they looked at christopher young and said well it sounds like the sounds just like the other one and he said yeah but this one goes to 11. (laughs) Uh, it
1: doesn't though it it is bigger this one incorporate incorporates more into it like there's a backing choir this time there's more percussion and cymbals and and drums um it just yeah it just feels bigger
0: so it's the difference between listening to metallica play of wolf and man just them and listening to them on the SNL album, it's just bigger. Same song, but
1: bigger. And everybody just went, "Ew, he listens to Metallica." <laughs> I don't
0: care. You listen to the SNL album. Where are you, a Chad?
1: Awesome. Are you Chad Travis?
0: No, I don't think. Am I? I don't think so.
1: <laughs> are Are you a dude, bro? One of those guys that lifts weights and listens to Metallica? No. <laughs> no, I promise he's a nerd. <laughs> I, I work
0: for a living. I don't have time to go to lift weights. <laughs>
1: He lifts kegs, that's enough. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I, 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 I deliver kegs. That's my weightlifting.
1: But I love that I really feel like this second film is where they used musical cues better, I guess. I love that when Pinhead first enters the room, the score starts to swell and swell and swell. And then he walks in the room and it just explodes on you. I so fucking love that. Now, they did do that in the original film. When the uh, when the vagrant takes the fu- the box out of the fire and it's the same thing. The music swells and they turns into a demon, flies away. I love the way they start to use it on Pinhead. Like, look at this majestic motherfucker, and the music is going to tell you that this is one majestic ass motherfucker. Like you bow down when he walks into a room. That's how I how I feel about it, and I feel that the score conveys that so well, and so feels like in every subject subsequent film after that they do the same thing when he enters the room for the first time you're gonna fucking know it score wise
0: so the the score starting in part two and kind of going forward and i can't speak for all the films because i honestly don't remember all the films some of them are so bad i think i've only seen them once actually there was i think there's one of them that i don't know that i've ever seen but anyway um it's the music finally, his intro music, I guess you'd call it his intro music, um, finally matches sort of what his station is in the books, right? Mm-hmm. So the music kind of tells the story that the Hell Priest has arrived. Yes, because um, let's not forget, and this is one thing that I did have, and I'm going to talk about my gripe about that here in a minute, but. Um, <coughs> Like he was, he was something in the books. Mm-hmm. Like he was a powerful bastard. Yeah, he he fought the devil. Yes, he lost, but
1: I mean, <laughs> yeah, I was like, he didn't win, but he, he fought the
0: law, fought and the him. law won. But
1: <laughs> he damn, put up a pretty good fucking fight. Just the
0: fact that he could fight, <laughs> yeah, uh, was saying something. And, and the music is, is a little bit more fitting. Mm-hmm. But if you're just watching the movies and you've never read the books, it's not. It may not matter. But yeah, I feel like the music fit him, fit that character a lot better. Yes, in this one than it did in the first one. Mm-hmm. It was more atmospheric, I think, in the first one. And yeah, you get the the, the part at the end where they, they kind of turned it up a little bit. But I feel like for the most part, in the, in the first film, it was really more about setting a mood than telling a story. And I feel like the music told a story or helped tell the story better in this one. Maybe, so.
1: maybe. I just, I appreciated that it was like more, do more, do more, more do Calvo. more. Yes.
0: So... It's time for Loved and Hated. Really? It really is. Yeah,
1: because we, we, we had this argument last week, which I was told was funny and a nice little moment between me and you and the
0: show. Oh, yeah?
1: <laughs> but kind of have our little argument about where we were, so... <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay, so we have discussed this further and confirmed that it is indeed time for love and Hated. Yes. <laughs> so what did you love and or maybe hate? You Although go I first.
1: I always go first.
0: <sighs> what did I love about this movie? that's tough i don't know if there's anything that just jumped out at me and i would say oh i really love that i like pinhead in this movie
1: okay let me, let me clarify when i say what did you love about this movie i don't necessarily mean love like hearts in your eyes and i everything. know
0: that i know that um i like the effects doug bradley's always good he you know he he is that character so i like that I like the story. I like that they kind of took it in a different direction. Um, I do I do like sort of the dark fantasy part of it. I kind of wish they had explored the hell side of things a little bit more because uh, that part was kind of interesting to me. As far as hated goes, mm, nothing really. Nothing that I really just hate about the film. I mean I guess it would be kind of back to that. There were some things like the, the hellscape that I wish they had given us a little bit more on. I would not have turned it down if they'd given us a little bit more background on Pinhead's original character. Um, I've always thought it'd be cool to have some more background on the uh, uh, the, the the groupie Cenobites, like Deep Throat and Chatterer and I uh, don't know who the big one is. What's his name?
1: Butterball? Yeah, that
0: one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Um, it'd be nice to have a little bit of background on them. Mm-hmm. But it's not necessary Like to forward the story. It's just... Uh, I think maybe, and again, it kind of comes back to having read the books. I'd like to see the lore, mm-hmm. you know, instead of having just read, like, give me a visual to go with what I've read, mm-hmm. sort of. Uh, but that's, I don't know if that's something that'll ever happen.
1: Right. But, no, that it would definitely be a little bit harder to achieve. It
0: absolutely would. Yeah.
1: I mean, when you think of films like Harry Potter series or Lord of the Rings, you think, I know that this is possible. Why hasn't somebody done that? Unfortunately, there has to be enough interest in it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It would require a huge investment. It'd take a massive budget, and they would just—they'd never make their money back. I don't think. I don't know that there's there's not enough Clive Barker fans out there that would buy those tickets. I don't think for them to make the millions of dollars that it would take to actually do it. So, right. At any rate, that's mine. Show me yours.
1: (laughs) Uh, kind of just piggybacking off of what you said, I. Even with some of the shittier entries, I don't know that this franchise would be what it is without Doug Bradley's performance as that character. Um, there's a lot of people that don't like part three. And I would argue that part three is one of my favorites just because he's full on pinhead in that. And they'll say, yeah, well, he went slasher. He's not a slasher. Okay, fine. He's not. But isn't it fun. Isn't it fun watching him ham it up and be that person? Even if it is just one entry, the guy's having a blast. The guy's who has not had much to do in the, uh, the previous two films because he was told the direction he was given was do less, do less, do less. And I agree that that does make him creepy. It does make him scarier. But getting to see him have one-off Entry where he gets to just really be himself is fun. So I I love the way he plays that character. Um, you know, people always want to say that Freddie or Ash Williams have the best one-liners. I would argue that Pinhead has got some of the great all-time one-liners.
0: So kind of to go back to the the book, I would disagree with people who say, well, he's not supposed to act like that because in the book he wasn't just uh, an automaton that came for vengeance. He had a personality and he would fuck your shit up. I I mean, I don't know. To me, like, his, that really quiet, do-less pinhead is less like the book than anything else. So, I mean, in that regard, I'm kind of with you on the Part 3 pinhead. I think that's probably the closest representation... One of the, a closer representation uh, because he had an agenda. He does, but he's still more reserved. He is, but that. I mean, he can still yes. mess shit up.
1: But he's not making spectacles well, in no churches and
0: no, stop talking don't. about
1: things you don't understand.
0: All right, fine. Continue. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway, um like we were talking about before, um I loved I love the score. The score is my my second favorite part next to him. I do love that they expanded on the the world, the lore, the mythos um, enjoy all of that. I love the aesthetic of it. I love how dark and depressing it is, at the risk of sounding strange. Um, there's so much to love about it. Um, anything that I say that I hated, I don't I don't hate. At at this point it's nitpicks. And the only nitpicks that I have are what we've already discussed, that being the plot holes that are very obvious. Um, Some of the character actions, decision making, I don't feel made sense always. I do feel like the pacing is off in a few places, and the big fucking bitch that I have the most egregious sin to ever be committed is how are you going to have a Cenobite that is five minutes old take out these well-established, powerful fucking Cenobites like they're nothing, like they're an afterthought, because when they all become insulted or whatever and uh shenard says oh good a fight you know and they're all there in their perfect movie still avengers showdown looking scene looking at him like oh yeah we're fixing to take you the fuck out you're like yes 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 and so you're hoping that's the way it's gonna go they're gonna destroy Shenard, let kirsty and um tiffany go and instead they're all humanitized <laughs> i don't know what the word is i'm looking for they're humanized and they get taken out like they're nothing and, and even pinhead you know he drops that photo and you think oh fuck he means business and he picks up his little weird fucking cutting tool whatever that is out of his batman utility belt and he heads toward him and you're thinking oh yeah and then he just gets his throat cut and he's quickly quickly dispatched and that scene to me is so fucking disappointing
0: yeah i don't un- i didn't understand that choice either like you've been here a whole minute this guy fought the devil and he's still alive to talk about
1: it well that book was not around at that point it doesn't (laughs)
0: matter i'm just saying no, I I, I can I can agree with that complaint. That didn't make sense to me. I was waiting for Pinhead to just straight fuck him up. Like, chains come out of everywhere, rip him a new orifice. And then he just, like, okay, and if you're going to take Pinhead out, you can come up with something better than, I'm just going to cut his throat.
1: Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It
0: seems like it would take more than that. It like, seemed like he would probably enjoy that. Right. He'd be like, thank you, sir, man, I have another. <laughs> and just keep going. I, I don't know. And yeah, it's that was kind of. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's the same thing with Julia, too. Like, you've built her up to be this all-powerful badass that just can knock a girl out with one backhand. And the way she met her demise was pretty underwhelming too. Her skin just rips off and she flies down a tunnel. That That's it. That's all we get, you know? So I know that they meant to do more with bringing her back as the Hell Priestess. or the Queen of Hell. Queen of Hell. But that knowing that she wasn't going to come back, that ending feels very underwhelming for her. Feels very anticlimactic.
0: Yeah, it wouldn't have been a bad thing to give her a, a better send off.
1: Yeah, I mean, because Frank gets his fucking heart ripped out and there's all fucking flames and shit and you know that feels very final and you're like you're rooting for julia but when it comes to her death and pinhead's death it's kind of wah wah i guess yeah you'd
0: kind of hope for something a little more heroic i guess theatrical for both of them. something you know make a, make a spectacle yeah so, so.
1: Th- those would be those would be my big bitches about it but other than that I still fucking love this movie. Like I, this is not one that's ever, I, I heard another reviewer say that if he was going to pick a sequel, this is not the first one he grabs, you know, at random. And I disagree with that. I'm always like, I got to watch one, two, three, <laughs> like in that order. I've got, you know, I, but again, this is my favorite franchise. So I'll usually do one through three at the very least. I may not always do four um, and so on, but I will definitely most certainly watch the first three and without fail part one and two back to back because like I said I feel like part two is a continuation of this story um it helps that they did a previously on where you just get thrown right back into it even if Kirsty did manage to get a haircut in the five minutes between (laughs) burning the box and getting picked up by the paddy wagon
0: yeah She so got a haircut in the in the squad car on the way. Yeah,
1: but it, I I just love it. I I can't help it. I love this movie. Maybe like I said, not maybe not as much as the first one, but I do still love it.
0: So is that your final thought? Yes. My final thought is it's pretty good. It's pretty good.
1: Yeah, because you seemed like I mean I feel like we bitched more than we did anything else on this.
0: Yeah, it's still pretty good. Though. I
1: I didn't have a list of potholes. A <laughs> uh, plot holes <laughs> potholes. Uh, yeah, yes, yeah, same
0: thing. <laughs> It's the same thing. <laughs> I just I don't know. It, it's I like it. I like it better than some of the ones that came later. Maybe well, that's yeah. how I'm judging it. Is that some of the ones that came after this are just so bad mm-hmm. that oh, this one's pretty good. Oh, <laughs> <Aww,
1: laughs> that's not that's not. I don't good know. It sounds
0: terrible, right? But no, no. I'm just judging it based on comparison, I suppose. Story's better. I probably like this one better than the first one. To me, the first one seems to kind of drag. It feels like a long movie. Um, I agree with you on the pacing part of this one because it's feels like there's not a hell of a lot going on and then at the end they sort of fast forward through it. Uh it feels like it's over too too soon. Like once the end game starts, it goes fast. Mm-hmm. Uh and eh, it's a little too much. I think they tried to cram too much into that last bit. They could have spent a little more time there, cut out some of the, you know, Kyle looking like he's scared of everything he sees in Shenard's house and Well,
1: that's the shit thing. Like is, that. they, there's there's, some... there's certain scenes that go on a really yeah. long time. Like how long did Julia and um, browning play night crawlers on the floor oh it, god they it, were
0: down there for like 10 minutes
1: it, it feels like a long time uh browning hacking himself all to pieces they could have cut a little bit out of that and it's still been just as effective yeah um, julia getting wrapped up like a mummy there there are scenes that drag out and i don't know if that was purposely to pad the runtime but i would have ha- liked to have had it more just implied and spent more time on the back half
0: right no i, I totally agree with that i think it's one that if you've never seen it you should still watch it
1: mm-hmm, I agree uh,
0: especially if you're a fan of the first one if you're a fan of the first one and you haven't seen this one then what's wrong with you
1: you're still you're still gonna like this but one
0: this these two the first and second hellraisers fit together almost exactly the same way Halloween one and two do mm-hmm. uh, like it all it all happens on the same night right so uh, they, they just go together really well but again I I think I prefer this one to the first one just because it has more of the it, it's not a love story it's it's more of the dark dark fantasy type of thing Mm -hmm. so
1: i can understand that all right all right so marry fuck or kill
0: Uh, that's tough let's just go with i'll fuck with it like a side piece (laughs) maybe a a couple times a year booty call okay how about you You're about to be a polygamist, aren't you? You've been married like 18 times.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm going to marry it. While it's not a perfect film, normally I reserve marrying for what I feel to be perfect films. This is one that, like I said, if I'm going to watch the first one, I'm going to watch the second one. So it's one that is heavily in rotation. This is one that I could not not watch again, I guess. So while I am aware of its flaws and I do have complaints, it's still one that I don't ever want to be. Without again, so
0: you love it in spite of its flaws, yes, just like me, just
1: like a real marriage, <laughs> just
0: like me. <laughs> all right,
1: all right, so I believe next week is your pick. So, what are you picking for us to cover next week?
0: God damn, you couldn't warn me about it, you just could have put me on spot. Oh, like yeah, that and... yeah,
1: I'm gonna put you on blast.
0: Oh, damn it, fine. We're doing Reanimator,
1: cool. All right, well, next week, join us for Reanimator where we get to talk. HP Lovecraft, fucking finally, buddy. We get to talk Jeffrey Combs. Jeffrey my husband. He doesn't know it. What? and some of the wildest fucking head fucking we've ever seen but until then take care guys
0: bye what would you do to save the life of a teenage boy if you subscribe to our patreon for just three to ten dollars a month you can get aiden out of the industrial size hamster wheel we use to power our show for that, you'll get access to bonus content and allow me to remove Aiden's handcuffs. He doesn't run worth a shit with him on anyway. Also, be sure to show your support on our social media pages. You can find us on Twitter as TravisL80 and SpookyMom83. Thank you for your consideration.